You're listening to the Champ Off-Road Podcast, presented by Amswell. Welcome, everyone, to another episode, episode eight of the Champ Off-Road Podcast, presented by Amsoil. I'm Brent Smith, alongside Shane Stetsny, and we're going to bring you all the coverage coming into this weekend for ERX Motor Park. And Shane, man, what a big weekend we have. Yeah, big weekend in store for Champ Off-Road. This is rounds five and six, so this will officially mark the halfway point of the season for both sportsmen and pros. The points chase is starting to take shape just a little bit, but ERX, the last couple of years, really has proven itself as a, a real diamond of off-road racing. I, I would compare it favorably to any other track that we've ever raced at and any of the current tracks on Champ Off-Road. You're a racer. You see the track a little bit differently than I do. What is it about the track at ERX that makes such exciting racing? Well, just the elevation changes, Shane. We've seen it for many of years. I mean, I've been able to broadcast that track. Chris Carlson, Andrew Carlson, and all the group of people that make that possible just put the right dirt out there. There's sand sections, the Fox Shocks rhythm section, the Yokohama tire flyaway. I mean, you go into Ziegler cat turn. I could go on for days. And as a racer, Shane, you want to see changes. You want to see elevation changes. You want to have to think when you're out there. Some guys can get on asphalt, just drive around in a circle, get out front and be fine. But at ERX, Shane, you really have to put your head down. It's like a motocross track to me. You really have to pick the right line. You have to get through the treacherous track and the split lane sections are just one of the sections you have to be prepared for. And then the carnage, it makes for some great racing. Yeah, you described it as a motocross track. I think that's a perfectly apt description. It makes me think of like the the big outdoor nationals tracks like Millville or Redbud with huge elevation changes. I know we said it on the broadcast last year, but the fans watching on Flow Racing or even the fans in the stands, you really, it's hard to appreciate the elevation change without actually standing on the track surface like we get to do. Some of those hills are, I shouldn't say some, all the hills are basically blind hills and there's not a spot on the entire track where it's just a flat straightaway. Every single inch of the track, you're either going uphill, you're going downhill, you're airborne or you're turning. So it demands a lot out of the drivers too. I think the the phrase driver's track gets thrown about a whole bunch, but I think ERX is like the embodiment of a driver's track where you have to bring your A game, like you said, to be competitive there. Yeah, absolutely. And it has a little bit of every track that we love the most. It has the speed like Cranon, it has the flyaways like Bark River, the elevation changes like Bark River. Then you have the tight sections in the front going in the back section, just like Dirt City. Very small, a bullring track, but the drivers come to the top. And that's what's so cool about this track at ERX Motor Park. They threw in every obstacle. If you want to win, you better study this track, and I think it's going to be something to watch. So last year, let's talk about ERX a little bit last year. The the big memory for me, and I'm sure the same for you, is that both Pro 4 races last year, rounds 5 and 6, you know, you go back and watch every race. I rarely go back and watch races after they happen, but last year, those Pro 4 races, I had to go back and watch those. So many lead changes. Saw a couple new guys run up front. Kyle Chaney, Jimmy Henderson both pushed their way to the front. So tell me, Brent, which class do you think is going to provide that kind of action this coming weekend? I mean, I really think the pro-light class is really going to start shaking up even more. Kyle Greaves, really, really strong. But Brock Hager, he's going to bounce back. You go to Trey D. Gibbs. I mean, you talk to a lot of drivers in pro-light. They want to get up into the top three. I mean, 
you go pro too. That's crazy. We talk about Kyle Kleiman. He's running fifth in points right now. Ricky G running third in points. And Zach Sikowski, I expected a little bit more out of him. I think he's going through some teething problems still, but a guy that I look forward to see progress in this sport. Yeah, you mentioned Pro-Lite. It's a little bit topsy-turvy right now, the point standings. Brock Hager was flat-out dominant last year, uh, won all but just a couple races. Right now, like you said, he's fourth in points, still kind of in that uh, top group in the points chase. Uh, Kyle Greaves is the points leader by 12 points over Trey Gibbs. Then you've got guys like Matt Wood in sixth, Travis Milhausen is seventh. Some usual heavy hitters, guys like Maddox Bailey, he's all the way back in 14th. Brody Eggleston, who we expected to do really well, is 10th. Dylan Poynton sitting in 9th. So pro-light, like I said, it's really shaken up right now. How do you think that plays out this weekend and moving through the rest of the season? Well, I mean, we're at about the halfway point of the Champ Off-Road season, so they really need to put their head down and move forward. If you want to be in the end-of-the-year points chase, you have to put a stamp down now. And I think at ERX, that points invert, I mean, wherever they stagger each truck and wherever you start is going to be huge there to get out of that roost, to make sure you have enough tear-offs. I mean, from our point of view, Shane, you know it looks really nice. I mean, but when you're in the truck, I don't care if it's sprint car, dirt car, anything that you race in the dirt, you better have tear-offs because you need to see. And to see is one thing at ERX, you have to negotiate all those crazy turns. Yeah, and fight the traffic the entire time too in such a stacked class like Pro Light, where we expect, you know, 16 or more trucks in the field here this weekend and qualifying becomes important too because if you go out and lay an egg in qualifying then that's just that much more battling you have to do to get up front hey and that's a great segue let's talk a little bit about some changes in the full-size side-by-side class so this applies to sportsman pro-am pro stock and pro turbo rule change came down from uh, race control only 25 cars are going to be allowed to enter each of those races, or I should say be allowed to take the green flag. So the top 20 in points for the two sportsman classes are locked in for the weekend. The remaining cars will qualify each day to see who makes the field. And then for pro stock and pro turbo, the top 20 qualifiers from Thursday, the day before the event, will make the field automatically both days. And then the remain, remaining cars, again, will have to qualify on both race mornings. That's a big shakeup in the format for the side-by-side classes, but what do you think about those rule changes? I mean, I have to back up our whole team at Champ Off-Road because it's about safety is one thing. And to me as a driver, I mean, you put 30-plus cars on a track like that coming into turn one. We watch that turn one, all the carnage and the disruption on the day that it takes time. I mean, it's safety's huge about our sport, and that's what it comes down to. I think the rules are the rules, and some guys might not like it, but that brings more competitiveness to this sport. You have to be perfect. You have to be on. If you're a Brock Hager, you're a CJ Greaves, you're an Owen Van Epperen, Ronnie Van Epperen, you have to to beat those guys. You have to be ready for it, and to be ready for it, you have to make top 25. So, I mean, as a racer, I guess it's just another challenge, and the rules are the rules, so you have to go with it. Yeah, the one thing that I, the one place I should say where I think it might create some real drama is I'm thinking back to Annie Go Pro Stock side by side. Brock Hager got a flat tire in qualifying and ended up just pulling off. Obviously, with the new rules, he wouldn't have pulled off, but the chance is there that a guy, a fast guy, could break in qualifying and then they have to thrash on the car just to get it back together to go out before opening ceremonies for the sportsman and then lay down a fast enough lap to even make the show. 
and then start at the back of the 25 car field on top of it. I think it creates some drama. And like you said, at the end of the day, it's all about safety and creating a better racing experience for the drivers. Um, their, their enjoyment of the sport is important to us too. And not having 35 cars on the track at the same time, all jockeying for position, it's safer and it creates a better racing product. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you 120%. And it's about safety is one thing, but Hey, you know, they don't allow everybody in. I always like to say not everyone gets a ribbon, you know, I mean, you, you have to go out and fight for what you want and, we're going to make that that rule of 25 cars or less. And I'll tell you, I you might see some issues, like you said. Brock Hager gets flat tire, doesn't get a shot to get in. But, hey, those guys know the risk. If it was you or I, well, hey, we'd have to do the same thing. So it's not like one guy gets favored or the other guy gets favored. Everyone has the same rules. I think it's an encouraging sign, too, that the traction level for drivers to come race champ off-road is so high. You know, it's it's obvious we've got such talented fields, even in sportsman side-by-side, pro-am side-by-side, such talented drivers. And the people watching at home a year ago that decided to put a car together, they want to go out and beat those guys, even if it's just in the sportsman class. They want to go out and, and knock off the top guys in the sportsman class here, Jacob Blemke's and, and those guys. So it's an encouraging sign that so many people want to race and definitely makes me excited for the future because it's going to, you know, iron sharpens iron. The the greater challenge that some of these drivers have to go through to hone their skills, it's just going to create better competition. Yeah, absolutely. You might see uh, some of our top runners watching from the grandstands. You never know. Just yeah, hopefully not. Look at the sport. Yeah, you don't want to see it. But, hey, I always say, like, like the late Rick Huseman always said, 90% was luck. Yeah, you're totally correct on that point. Well, Brent, as always, this podcast is presented by Amsoil. Remember to visit Amsoil.com for the products that protect and maximize performance in all of your vehicles and motorized toys. You can use the convenient Amsoil product guides to find what you need, and you can get fast, free shipping on any order over $100 directly to your doorstep. Amsoil, run with us. And with that, we will welcome our very special guest onto the show. Brent, who do we have? We call him Ken to Mike, Mike Higgs. Welcome to the show, buddy. Thanks for having me. How are you two? Great, man. Great. Shane and I are just excited to catch up with you. I know you're a busy man, but we're heading into a busy weekend. And how are things with you? Things are going really good. You know, uh, it's been a crazy last couple of years with everything that's been going on in the world. Uh, so uh, we're sorting through that still, unfortunately. Um, but we've been racing um, and we're excited about that. Uh, we're excited about this season. We've got a little bit different lineup, so uh, things are going well. Yeah, let's talk about your squad a little bit. So you've got, obviously, a former Pro 2 champ, Kyle Kleiman. You've got the current points uh, Pro Light points leader, Kyle Greaves. The current 1,600 buggy points leader by a huge margin, John Fitzgerald. you got Ricky G, who won a Pro 2 race. you got uh, Zach Zakowski, who's kind of an up-and-comer in Pro 2. Is, is that the whole squad, or who did I miss? Chad Rayford. Of course. Of course. But old Chad. I mean, you got to feel pretty good about that group, though. No, absolutely. I mean, uh, the talent pool is very deep at Kenda, as I like to say. Um, we've got some uh, wily veterans. Uh, and like you said, we've got some up-and-comers and some young guns. These guys are uh, all very well-rounded. We're weighted a little heavy on the Pro 2 side, but uh, I think we're very strong in Pro Light and Pro 2. And I like all these guys very, very much. I mean, the they're all very well-spoken, well-mannered, uh, good representatives of the company and the brand. So 
I couldn't be happier in that respect. Do you have to be really careful with picking the right personalities? You know, obviously you're not, not one of the, the huge, you know, resource laden tire companies. You're, you're a smaller program compared to some of the other guys. Is that resource part laden. of the game? Yeah, absolutely. We have <laughs> to, uh, I've given $5 and I have to spend it like it's 10. It helps having been involved in this for a long time. I've got a great mentor and friend in Dan Vandenhuvel. He raced uh, with me when we were when I was with Kumo, so I've had a long relationship with Dan, and and he uh, is instrumental in our success. But I think that just the long involvement that I've had uh, in our sport has given me a little bit of an edge or an upper hand uh, when it comes to a lot of these things. I guess I'm looked at uh, a little bit more as being an insider rather than uh, than a newcomer. So I think that definitely helps us. Well, and you mentioned Dan Vandenhuvel. That's got to be uh, some huge cred on your part too, just to uh, be associated with him. And I, I, I have noticed, it's not lost on me that a lot of the guys, uh, even going back a couple of years that uh, were running Kenda tires, they were kind of in that flying Dutchman sphere of drivers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's definitely where it started. Um, when uh, I decided the uh, was given the opportunity, I should say, uh, to field uh, a motorsports program at Kenda. Uh, Dan was the first guy I went to, and, and it was his, his avenue that, uh, in his relationships, that, that definitely got us started for sure. You know, in this day and age, uh, sadly, you need to look at someone's program uh, in its entirety uh, rather than just the skill level of the guy behind the wheel. So when you talk about, like we say, this squad and your group of drivers, Mike, I mean, who do you feel coming into ERX and leaving ERX that might break out of its shell and not just on the podium, but maybe sweep the weekend out of that group? Do you think there's a chance? Yeah, absolutely. There's there's always a chance when you guys, uh, when you have guys like uh, KG and K-squared, <laughs> Kyle <laughs> Kleinman and Kyle Greaves, uh, definitely – uh, I think have their favorite tracks and I know uh, Kleinman, Kyle, uh, this is definitely his. He's chalked up some good victories here, kind of like Mikey Vandenhuvel back in the day. So, I mean, I, I'm looking for that. I think Kyle's had a, a, a little bit of a rough start to his season. Um, he always seems to, Kleinman always seems to be battling some adversity and having to overcome some challenges, but he's just, I mean, he rises to the top. I mean, he is he is a singular talent. He is awesome. Kyle Greaves as well. You know, I, I see him uh, being really strong here. Uh, the track, you know, it's a little bit different, you know, starting last year. So there's, I think, a few things that, that are that are playing that you've already got one year for these guys under their belt driving on this track. So uh, I think they're a little bit more comfortable than they were uh, before. Um, Ricky. Super kid, super strong, raced out in a competing series out west and he did really well. So he had a lot of seat time coming into this. Um, I know he likes this. He's done well. He's podiumed at this track. So the guy I'm really interested to see, I think Zach's kind of sliding into his comfort level. Um, I think that, that the uh, the cup race, uh, he really showed some strength there. And uh I expect to see that come out a little bit here at this track. Yeah, Brent and I talk a lot. And when we're talking to drivers on this podcast, we talk a lot about uh, confidence. It takes a long time to build the confidence and there's no replacement for seat time. So it it stands to reason that uh, Zach, even though he has a lot of side-by-side racing experience, 
Pro 2 is a totally different ball game. It'll take just a little bit for him to get up to speed. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I don't think people really have a firm understanding of how insanely difficult driving these trucks uh, is, you know, from the aspect of, of the crowd uh, of competitors on the track with you uh, to the amount of material that gets blasted in your face. Uh, I think it just takes a, a really different kind of mentality to uh, to drive well and do this. I think if you could do this, you can probably drive a lot of other things pretty good. Uh, I know that a lot of desert racers try this and have tried this over the years, and there's only been a few who have been able to do both really well, and even fewer that were able to do this as well as they did desert racing. So I think that speaks a lot. So, Mike, I'm, I know a lot of people know you as Ken to Mike and – You've been around a long, long time, but like, what is your actual title? What do you do in your nine to five? I mean, Shane and I understand a little bit, but like, what do you do day to day to be a busy man? Well, you know, Kenda is uh, a global company. Um, it's been around since 1962. I think we employ somewhere around 12,000 people globally, maybe a little bit more, a little bit less. I don't know. Um, we've got a lot of different factories in a lot of different places, make a lot of different products. Uh, but you'd be surprised how small things are on the automotive side here in the United States. So we've got a corporate office in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, there's actually only four sales guys. And that's just recently that that's happened. Up until five or seven, actually seven years prior to that, it was just myself and another person handling all of the sales for North America and Canada. So so where are you based out of then? I, I live in a little town east of Minneapolis-St. Paul, right on the Minnesota-Wisconsin border called Stillwater. And I end up having to wear a lot of different hats. My main focus <laughs> is, is, is selling tires to wholesale distributors. Uh, but I also am heavily involved in our product development on the light truck side. I do run our motorsports program as it pertains to off-road stuff, uh, as well as do all of our training uh, and any shows or events that we do. So busy, busy man. Yes, definitely. So you mentioned that you're involved in the development of light truck tires. That's obviously the same tires that you see on the racetrack. I know that every tire guy will say like, yeah, what happens at the racetrack, you know, affects the production of the tires, the design of the tires. But for a smaller company, a more agile company like Kenda, that has to be really true. You must get a lot of R&D out of the laps that are run on the racetrack. We absolutely do. Uh, and I got to say, I think it's one of the coolest things ever that we're able to field a uh, consumer product on the racetrack. Uh, I think that speaks volumes to our quality and our durability. Uh, I think that erases a lot of questions for people. But yeah, um, we have active involvement uh, from our engineering group. We actually have the third largest engineering facility in Akron, Ohio, out of all the tire manufacturers. And we have engineers. Uh, that are at every single race, learning how to groove tires, taking that information gleaned from how the tires perform on the track and the changes that we make to them to make them perform a little bit better, depending on the varying conditions. And they bring that back and uh, it gets incorporated into what's next for us. Um, we've got a uh, new mud tire that we're just uh, finishing up. We're hoping to get that to debut at the last race this year, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, but we will definitely be doing some testing, and we always involve our uh, squad of drivers in that uh, because that, that really provides us with some good information when those guys go out and pound on them on the track. So your squad, Mike, I mean, I know, but, like, the people listening, everyone back at home, like, just – 
Kyle squared, Kyle G, Ricky G, do they all get the opportunity to get the best tire every time it's out? Or is there only so many? It's, it's kind of a little bit of tug of war. You know, as a driver, you're of the mentality that you want to have a brand new tire on there every time you take the track. Um, It's not necessarily how engineering or the rest of us view it. We know that when you heat cycle a tire, when you put some laps on it, um, especially depending on what the, the track conditions are like, that that tire actually becomes a little bit better. The mold release comes off of it. Uh, when you heat cycle a tire, it actually stretches back out to its original shape oh, wow. that it had when it came out of the mold. Once it comes out of the mold, uh, we do what's called post-cure inflation. So we actually keep it inflated, and that helps a ton with the shape of the tire. But it's still, you know, it doesn't cool completely once that, that uh, pressure is taken off. And it takes a, a heat cycle. It takes putting some heat in those tires to really get them completely round again and, and dimensionally where they were supposed to be or designed or made. And actually, you know, I, I try to get these guys to, you know, hey, if you're going to qualify on these tires, keep them on for the race because uh, I think they're actually going to be in a, in a better spot. They work in a little bit. They work in a little bit. You know, you just flip them around, you get that new biting edge. Uh, on there so i mean you guys are limited you guys are limited on like like obviously only so many drivers can get what you guys give them to compete at the level they do but i mean what is the difference between say like yokohama where they can throw a lot more tires than you can i mean are you guys losing out is it i know it's a tire war but like, do you feel you have the resources to give Kyle Kleiman the best tire out there? I definitely think from a design and performance standpoint, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, but I know we have the best product out there right That's now. Awesome. The amount of uh, tires that I can, I don't have an unlimited amount of tires. Um, where if somebody uh, like Yokohama or Toyo or Maxxis does, uh, they spend uh, probably five times as much as we do doing the exact same thing that we do. Uh, they do a lot more testing throughout the season. Um, we don't have that luxury, unfortunately. Um, right, right. So w- when we do, we make the best of it. But I think, uh, you know, the only one that's given me fits right now, and they'll love that I'm saying this, is General. I think that they have a very good product. Um, I think ours is as good or better, honestly, in a head-to-head comparison. Uh, you certainly see it on the track. Um, Travis, know about from, this? No. <laughs> <laughs> from, a, uh, from a durability standpoint, I mean, these trucks are really hard on the tires. Uh, you know, and the only failures that we ever see is when somebody puts a truck through the side of one of our tires. So I think that's a testament to how durable these tires are. It's interesting that uh, that the series has changed the air pressure values uh, for this season. I think that's uh, made maybe some consternation for some of the guys. Now, see, I, I read the rule book pretty much front to back before every season because I'm kind of a nerd like that, and I didn't catch that. So tell me about that. So uh, you have to have a minimum pressure now of 20 PSI. Uh, there was also, until it was removed, a, uh, a stipulation in there on the cost of the tire. That's since been removed. I'm not sure why, but uh, having more PSI, you know, I think in certain situations, it gives you a little bit more breathing room, so to speak, or uh, a little bit more confidence. Uh, But with higher pressures, generally you see a decrease in 
traction because your footprint is changing. What's you know nice about us is we've got a huge facility with 50 engineers. It's a 60,000 square foot facility with any kind of imaginable piece of test equipment that you can think of. We examine the tires that get raced on a number of different ways. We can put them under vacuum and X-ray them uh, to see if there's any separation due to heat or impact. Uh, after a race, uh, we've got a footprint analysis machine where we can load them up in a bunch of different axes and see how that footprint is at different pressures. We can take a look at the cuts that we're doing and and see how they're really affecting how the block stiffness is and things like that. So when can Shane and I go? <laughs> anytime you guys want, we'd love to have you. Um, oh. It's kind of one of our little one of our little jewels in our crown is uh, is it's called Kenda America Technology Center in Akron. This is quickly turning into an educational podcast, and I did not see that coming. For sure. I've, I've been learning a lot today. That's awesome. Hey, so Brent brought up the tire wars before. I know you're, you're, you try to promote the tire wars. You want to be competitive, you know, not just the drivers on the track, but, you know, your, your brand against, you know, Doug from Falcon and the guys from Yokohama and the guys from Cooper and everybody else. Is there a lot of like friendly or maybe not so friendly competition going on between you guys doing some bench racing in the pits? Absolutely. That's the one great thing about this. I mean, the tire industry is a pretty tight knit community, really, when it comes right down to it. Uh, we all know each other uh, very well, and there's a lot of good humored ribbing uh, when it comes to uh, the products or the performance of those products. So it's, I'm not going to name any names, but you know, it, when we made that switch from uh, a project tire, you know, a, a race only tire to uh, a DOT tire, there's some angst. I think from a couple of the guys thinking that things weren't going to go how they wanted them to. A lot of guys were running interliners for a long time. We never ever ran interliners and didn't want interliners in there. We felt confident in the in the quality of our product and the durability of it. So, I mean, I'd be even be an advocate, and the drivers will to a person. I guarantee, go no way. Uh, but I would like to see us not cut tires because then you'd really see whose product performed when you didn't groove it. You know, you'd probably still have to groove the fronts just so these things will turn, but uh, I'd love to see ungrooved tires. Right. I mean, that's that's very confident because I know the minute someone gets a new tire, they feel like they need to groove it. I mean, even in my sprint car tires, Mike, I try to get as much out of them as I can before I start cutting it apart. I mean, explain to people at home, I mean, it's better to have more rubber on the ground. In a lot of instances, absolutely. I mean, block stiffness is a key aspect of performance when it comes to off-road stuff. If you chop that thing up, and that's the battle that our engineers have with all of our drivers, because our drivers have in their head what they think they need, you know, and from an engineering standpoint, uh, those two things don't always jive. So there's, there's a little bit of battle back and forth, you know. Uh, I like to call it a head cut because it's all in their head. There's no reason to do that kind of thing. But taking too much material out of the out of the tread block is going to make it deflect or fold over or roll over very easy. And uh, that's bad because it's unless you're in really soft material, it's not going to grab a hold of anything and, and pull you forward, so to speak, because uh, that edge that you're giving it doesn't have any material behind it to keep the edge where you want it digging. You know, it just, it folds over. More rubber is definitely better 
when it comes to the tracks when they start to groove up and uh, go ceramic on you. What about ERX? Like, what are you looking to put down for a tire for your guys? See, ERX is, is one of the most unique tracks, I think, because it can do both. You're always going to have that super heavy, loamy, sandy split lane stuff. So you got to have something that's that's going to move material there. But, you know, there's two or three turns uh where it goes pretty hard pretty quick you know and, and you got to look at you know i'm fortunate because i'm only an hour from that track so i know what it's been doing for the last two weeks and the majority of that is raining so you know it's i think it's going to get pounded in pretty quick and it's going to get hard so the, you know that hairpin turn up in the back you know your exit to that your entrance to that is definitely going to uh, favor something that's more all around um you need a paddle tire for the split and need, yeah for the split lane <laughs> right so i you know i don't know it, and it's fun to watch uh the back and forth you know i always look at what everybody else is running you know what's he got on the back is general running their mud or are they running their all-terrain is maxis doing the same thing how are they cutting it up you know i always look at that um but what we try to do is we try to back the drivers down from they're extreme. Let's turn it into a, you know, a field and turf tire and, and, and have it kind of resemble more of what it was out of the box because our products, there's a lot of engineering that goes into them. So they're, they're pretty good to begin with. It's funny that you mentioned a little bit ago, the, the head cut, <laughs> the almost meaningless groove. So I, uh, I cut tires for a couple of races out West about 10 years ago for a, another tire company. And one driver who's still huge in short course off-road he had a special cut and i remember asking the the man in charge you know what does this tiny extra cut do and he said absolutely nothing we just give him a, a special cut and he thinks he's got a better tire and he's more confident and you know what there you can't discount that but yeah I mean, placebo effect absolutely i mean if, if people really understood what has to happen behind the wheel in these trucks yeah you want everything working in your favor Yes. To give you that that confidence and that edge when you're out on the track, because you got your hands full out there. Hey, so we don't want to keep you too long, Mike, but I've got a couple just uh, completely meaningless, fun questions for you. In uh, in the entirety of Champ Off Road across the five tracks that we have, what's your favorite track to uh, see racing at? Yeah. What about the track with the best nightlife? Crandon. <laughs> That's a good answer. How about the uh, best food? None. <laughs> oh, come on. Okay, yeah, I'd have that to go one's good for you. Ed's, Ed's in Argonne is Main, uh, Ed's Main Street. Ed's food there is fabulous. So I would have to say Crandon again. You know, ERX, you have access to a lot more stuff. You know, being in a big metropolitan area, so I don't think that's fair. I would say out of all the tracks, though, Crandon. That's a good answer. I'm a Crandon guy myself, so uh, you know, I've eaten at Ed's plenty of times. Here's here's a fun question for you. Your whole Kenda Tires crew, you, all the drivers that you have, if you put them in equal equipment, like say you put them in six pro spec trucks, who would win a heads up race between those drivers and why? Because <laughs> okay. man, that guy he's he's actually <laughs> that let me take that back. <laughs> that was I quick. would say I would say Chad Rayford because if you put Chad Rayford in anything for the first time for anybody, whether it's a lawnmower or a side by side or a helicopter. Chad's shopping coming out cart. on that. shopping cart semi, <laughs> you know that guy. He can drive anything if you give him enough time. He'll figure it out and and be awesome at it. Um, him and Morris have been competing for roles though now, <laughs> <laughs> right? 
I had to throw that for down about thirty percent a little. No, I mean Kyle. Kyle's just one of those guys, Kleinman, who just I hate saying that. You know, singling out one guy because I love all these guys honestly, and I'm very fortunate to have them uh, driving on our tires. Uh, and I think they have all have their own unique stuff. But Kyle's definitely one of those guys who's just like, yeah, whatever, man. I'll just get behind the wheel of this and drive it. I don't care if it's got no brakes or or what. So there's something to be said for guys that can be like completely flatly calm, you know, right before they get in the truck and right after they get out. And you assume during the the time they're racing. All the drivers I've known that were like that all seem to be successful. Absolutely. I, you know, I've always imagined uh, climbing, you know, if it's not a super intense point in the race, he's probably daydreaming about something, you know, thinking about what he's, what he's going to do when he gets home or, oh man, did I do my laundry? Kind of a thing. So he's always working too, like at his normal day job. I mean, his mind is not all there. I remember when he came in Anago, we were working on stuff together and, he didn't even get any sleep. I'm like, that's huge. I mean, mentally, you have to be prepared, let alone drive a pro too. Right. Uh, it, it's tragic on some levels that, that there's so much talent out there uh, that's unrealized because there's no money anymore uh, in this sport from a sponsorship aspect. Other than tire manufacturers and, and you know, a handful of other uh, guys, there, there just isn't any money to put guys who have an insane amount of talent and would do incredibly well and have done incredibly well on the track. Uh, and they're just sitting on the sidelines. Mikey Bandit was one of those guys. So it's tough. I mean, Kyle Kleiman and Kyle Greaves are the last two, I mean, truly like privateer kind of guys. Do you see Kyle Kleiman getting any farther than where he's at? Because I, I know his budget's not huge, and he's doing big things in the sport. I mean, the people don't understand what he comes to the track with and how he performs at the level he does. I mean, you put him in anything he can drive. I just I feel like the kid deserves to get that big ride so he can relax a little. Absolutely. Like I said, it, it, I shouldn't say tragic because, I mean, this is, this is something, I mean, it's, for some guys it's a job because they can do it professionally for most of them. It's, it's basically a, a super hobby. So you have to kind of have a caveat there. Don't feel too bad. These guys are doing something awesome that they love to do. But, you know, we've always said, if you were to put one of these guys in a, an unlimited budget kind of a race program with the best of everything, and if it's a question mark, you take it off the truck and you put something brand new on there, it would be interesting to see how well they would perform given that and i think short course the last you know 20 plus years is full of stories like that really i mean being around it as closely as i've been i've seen you know dozens of guys that i'm just a bystander i guess but you can single out the guys with the talent and the dedication and the intangibles but you know short course is still such a too too well kept of a secret on a global scale and maybe we'll get there hopefully we'll get there where uh, that's not a concern anymore but yeah you're right there's there's a lot of guys with tons more talent than budget absolutely and you know and this sport is is infinitely watchable i mean i watch a ton of other motorsports and i tell you what there's no more action packed thrilling uh, edge of your seat stand up and cheer kind of uh, moments that uh, you have as many of them that you have in our racing you know those happen maybe once every third race or uh, maybe right. once a race, you know, in a lot of other forms of motorsports where you're like standing up and yelling at the screen and go, ah, <laughs> uh, 
where this is 20 minutes of that nonstop. You've been in the booth with me and Brent when we get that excited for like a short course cart race. So you know exactly how it is. Right. So <laughs> I, I, I don't know what's, I don't know what's holding us back. I mean, it, as soon as people find out about this more than they already are, I mean, you would think the sky's the limit, right? Certainly hope so. Need more people like you or who are uh, such good ambassadors to the sport. Well, you two are no slouches either, so. Hey, we appreciate that. Yeah, buddy, it's great to hear from you. It's been a while and hope to catch up with you at ERX. Oh, absolutely. I'm just honored to be on the program with you, so thanks for having me. Absolutely. We appreciate your time. We'll catch up with you here in a day and a half. Sounds like a plan. See you there. Well, before we wrap up this episode of the Champ Off-Road Podcast, I do want to share a bit of sad news One of the other racing series here in Wisconsin is the Soda Series, the Short Course Off-Road Drivers Association. Over this past weekend, they lost one of their own, Dan Ertman, in a motorcycle accident. And while he's not a champ off-road racer, he is a member of the off-road racing community, so we mourn his loss. Our thoughts are with his family and the rest of the Soda racing community. Well, with that, Brent, ERX is two days away. Any last thoughts? No, man, I'm excited. It's only Wednesday, and it's just like I'm a kid again. Just can't wait to watch the high-flying action at Champ Off-Road, and it's going to be unreal. 10.30, it starts on Friday. We're running Friday and Saturday, so you better get there or be square because you're not going to want to miss the big show, and you can watch it on Flow Racing as well, Shane. So can't wait to get the weekend started, and you and I get to be in the sky, man. It's going to be fun. Absolutely. Like you said, live on Flow Racing and live at the track, 10.30 a.m. Central Time for sportsman opening ceremonies on Friday. Weather on Friday looks to be beautiful. Highs in the upper 80s. We've been blessed with extremely good weather for the most part at ERX the last couple of years, and we expect the racing to be equally as good. So that'll do it for this one. For Brent Smith, I'm Shane Stetsony. Thanks for listening to the Champ Off-Road Podcast presented by Amsoil. We'll be at you live from ERX next. Thanks for listening to the Champ Off-Road Podcast presented by Amsoil.